The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, I'm feeling invincible tonight, so be alive, take a look into our eyes, something, something, burn a shave. In order to give you our optimum podcast experience, we will now engage the nozzle. Please do not look directly into the nozzle. Do not move as this will disturb calibration of the nozzle. Calibration complete. Podcast delivery commencing through the nozzle. All that and Sir Thomas More as the major spoilers podcast is on the nozzle. Welcome to issue 1065 of the major spoilers podcast. Thank you for downloading and checking us out this week. Hey, at uh, comics pro last weekend, DC comics then announced that it is moving new comic book day from Tuesday back to Wednesday again. So we'll see what other companies that were also releasing on Tuesday also move uh, to Wednesday. But uh, you will all now be able to go get your your comic books on Wednesday again. Our long national nightmare is over. And now it's time for some reviews. <laughs> uh, last week, Matthew, um, yes. Massive Publishing has been doing this Zorro uh, Dilio. Um, and is, and yes. so what, what's going on with the man behind the mask of the dead? So the deal of uh, Zorro, colon, Man of the Dead. This is issue number two for Massive Publishing. Uh, it's kind of a one-man show in as much as it can be. Sean Gordon Murphy handling yeah. uh, art good and stuff. the writing duties. It, it really is. And a couple of the alternate covers for issue one were actually done by Umberto Ramos, which they look pretty awesome. Yeah, cool. So here is, here's the deal. It takes place. In the present, the year 2024, uh -huh. our main character is actually a woman named Rosa. And many years ago, Rosa and her brother Diego saw her father murdered on Zorro Day. Zorro, of course, being a, a folk hero in this universe, but also sort of kind of real. So there is a whole Zorro festival and like a little Zorro museum at the Castillo where Zorro used to operate in the 1800s. But after that accident, Diego was a five, six-year-old boy. He was terribly, terribly traumatized. And so he was actually raised in the Castillo, surrounded by Zorro artifacts, and now as an adult, believes himself to be El Zorro. So Rosa is actually working as a courier for a local drug uh, kingpin because in a lot of ways in the area, that's the only job there is. You either work for the criminals or you kind of don't work. And last issue, Diego showed up in full Zorro regalia with his sword and his horse and a fox around his neck to fight off uh, gun-toting uh, groups of people who work for the drug cartel. But it's really, really fun stuff. If I don't know, if, if you're not familiar with Zorro... And I think that everybody kind of has a little bit of a grounding. But if you're not familiar with Zorro, this actually gives you enough to put it together. If you walked into this having never heard of Zorro, issue number one set up. This is a character. This is what he did. This is where it all came from. It shows you a lot of this stuff. And it does it visually 
incredibly. So there are scenes in this issue where we're looking at a flashback and talking about the days when the original Zorro was still around. And then they cut back to the present and there's kind of an altar with a little statue of Zorro on the back of Toronado and lit candles all around it. So beautiful. It's like three quarters of a page. And it's just there, you know, to be visually cool while they talk about, here's what Zorro did. So as the issue goes on, Rosa actually has to work with her brother, who, uh, as we also mentioned, her brother is not entirely all there. He definitely has mental illness, or at least is feigning mental illness. And I don't know if he's doing it to try and get an edge, but... He has actually spent his whole life training to be Zorro. So it's not like he is just wandering out into the world. It's sort of a Don Quixote thing, but he's also incredibly skilled. So he uses his whip to leap from a moving vehicle to another moving vehicle. He's able to fight. He's able to, you know, do all of the things that Zorro did. And he's also able, when things go pear-shaped, to sneak back to help his sister sneak back through the wilds back to the Castillo where he grew up. And so as the story comes together, it seems like this guy is entirely, you know, entirely mentally ill. There's nothing going on there. And it turns out that he really is as good as he thinks he is. And by the end of the issue, as things get really serious, he also shows the the tendency to show up at exactly the right time. And I don't want to go much further than that because there are two big moments uh, regarding Zorro's legacy and La Vega, which is the name of the, the village. But more importantly, if you have not been reading this and you pick up issue one, if I tell you about this now, some a couple of things from issue one would actually be a spoiler. But... I will tell you this. This is some fine comic book work. Um, I I don't know if you're familiar with Murphy's other stuff, Stephen. Yeah, but his, his stuff is good. I, I like his stuff. Yeah. I, I can't remember if he did that Jurassic League thing or not. It was either him or someone who reminds me exactly of him. But there's a really, really cool edge to the art in here. It does have little bits that remind me a little of Umberto Ramos. Mm -hmm. And um, I know you love his work. I'm not necessarily as psyched on him, but there's bits in here that remind me a little bit of uh, Frank Miller. So if you're a Miller fan, definitely worth looking into. And the use of blacks, especially near the end, the spot blacks and the dark, dark areas... I'm just like, wow, there's some Mignola in here too. This has got yeah. a little bit of everything. A lot of people may and, re- a lot of people may know Sean Murphy's work from Batman, uh, the white Knight Cause he white was uh, in charge of that whole series, Chris, the white Knight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, he also did that chrononaut series that I loved uh, about the time travelers, the, yeah. kind of the hijinks, uh, With he's Mark done, Miller from, uh, was that dark horse? Uh, that was uh chrononauts I think was a, it had to have been an image at the time, I think, not Dark Horse, because mm. Mark Miller did his own thing, uh, Millerverse stuff, what I think was an image at that time. Um, oh. Because the, the Dark Horse acquisition only happened recently with, with Mark Miller. Uh, I could be wrong, but that's that's what I remember. Also, that Tokyo Ghost series that we did, 
Uh, he mm-hmm. did he did that as well uh, with uh, Rick Remender, which was really good. So yeah, his stuff is his stuff is good on the art side, and his writing is very solid too. Of again, Batman, White Knight stuff. Yeah, and uh, that apparently there's like a whole White Knight sub universe now because that first limited series was so transformative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's like they had he has his own Earth. It's like Earth Murphy, and. Um, when you're dealing with a licensed property, like your Zoros, your Green Hornets, your Shadows, it's really easy to get something you love and then have it never, ever, ever come back. Mm-hmm. So I, I do want to let you guys know this is a very good book. You may want to pick it up because there's a good chance that once it's off the stands that we'll never, ever see it again. Yeah, I don't or know enough about... We'll never see that take. I don't know enough about Massive Publishing. They're a very small group. And mm-hmm. so... um you know, it's, uh, it's not, we don't have an Amazon link for that. So you're going to have to get it where you get it, uh, preferably at a comic book store or through a legitimate download source. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, um, I, I don't know. They have a lot of stuff, but they don't regularly communicate with us, um, mm. for their stuff. So Ooh. massive no, publishing. No, if you're listening, that. please reach out to me, podcast at major spoilers.com. Put us on your, on your list so we can talk more about your stuff on our website and our podcasts. So there you Especially go, Sean Murphy. If you're listening, reach out four to your and a half. four and a half four slices. And a half slices of meat Very nice. Very nice. Um, at what age group do you think doesn't know about Zorro? Because I'm going to bet high school age kids don't know about Zorro. I would say, or you'd have to be a very special group of high school kid to know about Zorro. Well, the last Zorro movie came out in the 2010s with Antonio Banderas, so I would say. If you don't know anything about Zorro, you're probably definitely under 30. When was that last Zorro film? That was like 2006. Oh, I don't know. It had Catherine Zeta-Jones in it, wasn't it? Or was that 1990s? It had Catherine Zeta-Jones and it had... That was 1998. That was 1998. What? Yeah. What? Mask of Zorro. No. Mask of Zorro. Antonio Banderas, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Anthony Hopkins, Stuart Wilson. Oh, wow. I like me some Zorro. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a guy Williams guy, but yeah, I like some Zorro. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, what age group do we fall out? So you think under 30, I mean, and I like say, I said, you'd have yeah. to be in a special group of people. And I mean, like pop culture nerd type. And I say nerd with affection, not with malice. Um, right. but there's a, there's a kid in my class who's 25. No, he's mm-hmm. not. Tw- well, maybe he is 25. Um, cause he's a, he had to drop out for a while. But he would know who Zorro is. But he's also somebody who's into, like, every old movie ever made. Uh, right. And I think I think Zorro has kind of uh, some cross-pollination because comic fans may or may not have a good idea of who Zorro is. But I true, know that, like, but I think Zorro's been in comics for a long time, right? So, like, uh, yeah. we had Lady Zorro. We had, uh, uh, what was her name? Rawhide have all been those. Lady tan- yeah, have been those tangential Zorro. I think I thought Lady Rawhide had a uh, comic book resurgence not too long ago. Boy, I don't know. Um, I want to say there was a, a Zorro musical in the 2000s coming off of the Mask of Zorro thing, mm. but I don't. Um, and I would say that uh, depending, you know, we're talking about United States. I feel oh, like yeah, there yeah, was definitely <laughs> I would imagine in South America. Yeah. There was a, there was a Zorro telenovela in the two thousands that I know I've seen stuff from that's just like, Oh, hello. I loved, I love watching a telenovela. Cause I love me some drama. 
so yeah, there was there was like a, a Zorro ongoing soap opera for a while. Mm. Okay, Europeans. I wonder, Europeans, are you? Do you know who the Zorro is? Are you reading the Zorro? We've got a Discord server to talk about Zorro and a whole lot more. You can join our Major Spoilers Discord server absolutely for free, and we would love to see your your, your you come and join our growing community of awesome people. And uh, there's the comic book section. People are going in all the time sharing stuff. Uh, when we took Euro comics, uh, definitely the the European uh, contingent uh, pipes up with their thoughts and, and ideas. And then it's great when we also talk about things that other regions of the world are not familiar with. And mm-hmm. so um, and so that makes uh, the exchange so much better. So head over to the Discord server. I'm very curious if our European listeners know who Zorro is. I think they might just because of the Phantom is still a big deal in in europe yeah i think i think zorro is definitely a thing but it's also one of those i feel like it may be sort of a you know here's this cool like mesoamerican thing that kind of you know you'll see something be like hey that's truly a neat japanese thing so i don't know you know what i mean I mean, Where you, look at you, you were talking about like, Zorro and you said that's a neat Japanese thing. So I'm not like right. following you. T- too well, much haven't there. you ever heard of like the, the widget where they discover they describe something as it's a widget. It's a weird Japanese thing. And then there's like, I feel like Zorro may be the equivalent of that oh, okay. for like, you know, Mexico and the Central American areas. You have things that pop up or like in the Philippines, you have Darna. Yeah. Where you're like, Darna is just an entirely unique thing to the Philippines. But if you know about Darna, you can't help but love everything about Darna. So. Mm, okay. I don't know. All right. Uh, one thing that I do know so many people know about, it, and that is Conan the Barbarian. And uh, this week from Titan Comics and is it Heroic Signatures or I think publishing is their imprint or that they've teamed up with. It is the return of the Savage Sword of Conan. Yes, from what I can tell, the aspect ratio of the digital pages is different than a regular comic book page. So I do believe that this is magazine sized format, uh, which I tried to look and see if magazine sized format was cheaper to print than comic book size uh, format. And I really haven't found anything that says yes or no. It says it may be more expensive to print or less expensive to print. I would think magazine sized format would be cheaper to print because it's, you know, magazine size and there's so many more magazines out there. But who knows? Uh, but it's in black wonder, and white. And it, on how many presses you have access? Yeah, to. yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, it's also in black and white, so that certainly does drive down the cost. And it is trying to return to that classic age of Savage Sword of Conan that Marvel and other publishers have had over the years. And for this first issue, uh, we've got John Arcudi and Max von Fafner uh, on art uh, telling the story of the Dragon Horde, and this is where a uh, I'm. Uh, Conan's uh, cultures are so weird in, you know, you say you're from this region, but it's clearly that you're Asian or in this case, old Dakahana is clearly Persian uh, influenced uh, in the, in uh, his, in his dress and style. And so he is this prince or yeah, this prince or this leader that is leading a vast army eastward to a kingdom that is supposed to be, uh, located on top of a huge gold cache. And he is going, the, this guy is going with his army to take over the city and everyone who follows him is going to get to share in the wealth, including Conan, who is the general of his army. So this is Conan, the general, not Conan, the barbarian. And as the story progresses, we find out that the, that the prince is not telling everything that they have said um, and that he is very vicious and he lies uh, to the point that, 
Uh, there is a, um, what is she? Is like an armorist. She's the person that's in charge of all their weapons and she's building a ballista and, uh, nobody knows why she's doing this and nobody's allowed to look at her cause she's pretty except for Conan who ends up betting her cause he's, you know, obviously Conan, um, right. until, you know, a giant T-Rex shows up. And so that's a little bit of a spoiler, a little bit, although the variant cover for this issue does have the, the dinosaur on, on the cover, at least it's legs facing down Conan. And so then that gets everybody all wound up and wondering, you know, either there is a great city of gold and this is their first level of protection. But at the same time, we've been lied to. What else is this guy lying to us about? The siege doesn't of the city doesn't go well until Conan slips in in the middle of the night and then the plot is revealed. I'm not going to spoil that part for it, but let's just say it is very much a Conan story at heart. So uh, congratulations to John Arcudi for bringing that story to life. I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, Max von Fafner's art is good. It's in a black and white style. Although there are a couple of things that I don't care for his style. Now, other people may not have a problem with it, but for me, it was a little weird. And I, one of the things that we should do when we're engaging with media is ask the question, why was this done? Uh, you know, what was the purpose of this? And occasionally now this just may be our digital review copy. And I don't have a print copy that I can, you know, get my eyeballs right up close to. Mm-hmm. But occasionally, a lot of the animals feel like they are a photo reference. And it's not Fumetti, where you are just putting the photo in and then putting your captions and other things in it. This looks like a um, kind of like a rotoscope or that process where you take the photo and then you draw over it to get the main details, mm-hmm. but you still leave the shading of the original photo in there. And so it's really weird, especially when we see it on the animals and the horses and some of the people occasionally will have that. And then other times it's just like, oh, no, this is a really cool drawing of Conan or this is a really cool drawing of two really bad guys or this is a really cool drawing of the Sultan and what he's doing. Uh, But then other times you're like, oh, this Mesa looks like it's a photograph that has been turned into black and white and just kind of inked over. Right. And so I don't. And but it could just be really good inking. Right. Uh, in which case, hey, no problem. Uh, so that's kind of my main issue with with the art uh, from the composition, from the art itself, from the drawing, the characters. It looks really good. But occasionally you get to these weird panels where it looks like photos. And I'm just like, it takes me out of the story that I'm that I'm reading. Uh, but the story is still really good. And I was able to to brush over a lot of those art issues that I had without much of a problem. Because this is magazine style format, uh, you do get multiple things in here. And so Jim Zub has been doing uh, a lot of the Conan stuff for Titan, the the uh, ongoing series that he's been doing. And he's been doing a lot of high fantasy stuff. And I think Jim Zub is a really great writer. And so Jim Zub shows us what he can do by providing a short story, a little two page original uh, Conan short story in here, which I thought was a uh, very keen. I liked it a lot. Uh, and then the final story is a Solomon Kane story uh, written by Patrick Zercher with, um, um, is he also doing the art on this? I think he's also doing the art on this. Yeah, he is. And not a huge fan of Solomon Kane, but I suppose if you're into the uh, Robert E. Howard type stuff that you have to take a little Solomon Kane in your life. Solomon Kane is a Puritan uh, demon hunter, <laughs> demon slayer. And so a lot of this stuff takes place in England. 
and uh, out there in Wales is some creature that's killing the animals. And uh, Solomon Kane stumbles upon this, and he is going to go hunt down uh, the the monster. But uh, at one point, he comes upon a farm where the husband is out trying to hunt this monster. And of course, Solomon Kane uh, agrees to help the the woman of the the farm, the the wife. Uh, you know, take care of the dead sheep so that they can uh, salvage whatever they can. And of course he's got his shirt off and she's looking at him. Of course he's a Puritan, so he would never do anything like that. And he is pure, but then the little boy gets captured and Solomon Cain has to go and find out what is really going on. And the town folk are against him. So if you're into your, uh, top hat wearing cloak, carrying, um, <laughs> heroes with swords in that kind of vein, then go for it. But Solomon Kane was never really a huge, um, I was never a big favorite of his stuff, but the story was still engaging. I, I want to see how this, I want to see how this comes out, uh, when the next issue drops and, uh, the, the ending to this is pretty shocking. And I, I really dug that a lot. Uh, there are some pinups in here as well that people may enjoy. I, I thought that this was really, really good. Save for my few minor art issues that I have. I think that if you are a fan of, of Conan, if you're a fan of Robert E. Howard and you like that anthology magazine sized format, I think you're going to really want to drop your seven bucks to get the Savage Sword of Conan number one. It's out this week, February 28th, 2024. And I had a great time with this. I, this again, when we talked about the Savage Sword of Conan, Marvel and Dark Horse uh, tales a few weeks ago on the Major Spoilers podcast, I really remember back in the late seventies, early eighties, where someone would bring a savage sword of Conan or a heavy metal magazine to school. And I was just like, what is this stuff? This isn't, what is this? This isn't the comic books my grandma has. Um, and this kind of at times makes me remember those good old days. So if you're one of those people that are like the good old days, or if you're just somebody who enjoys black and white comic books, I would say, pick up the savage sword of Conan I, I enjoyed it a, a lot. And I hope that this is something that uh, Titan publishing is able to continue for more than 12 issues. Uh, I mean, right now it's ongoing, but um, I'm hoping that a year from now, they're just like, Oh, this isn't selling like we thought it would. And we're going to cancel it. I say, keep going. I say, keep making this thing. I say it do at least commit to at least 36 issues. Uh, because I think this is yeah. something that years from now, somebody will pick up and say, Oh yeah. Remember this. Remember how great this run was, or maybe, you know, 20 years from now, they're like issue 301. Who knew that the, that Savage Sword of Conan would last this long when every other publishers fumbled the ball. So I uh, feel like the record was like 275. Is that how many that it went over at Marvel? <laughs> was that who so. it was at Marvel? Cause I know. And so yeah. there's a difference between, so again, when we talk Conan comics, everybody has done a Conan comic, right? Um, what I'm specifically talking about is Savage Sword of Conan, right? Um, right. And so Savage, Savage Sword is confusing because it came out initially under the Curtis magazine imprint, right? right. Curtis magazines and Marvel are kind of the, the same, same thing. Yeah. Uh, it's basically Martin Goodman. Mm -hmm. uh, let's just say, we'll just call it Marty. So yeah, under Marty comics, I think they did at least 275. Yeah, that's cool. And I hope that, uh, you know, that, uh, Titan can go to 301. Go to 301 issues. Go. That's my challenge to you, Titan Comics. Uh, and again, yeah. a lot of this has to do with rights issues because you may remember, dear listener, not too long ago, just two years ago, Marvel mm -hmm. had Conan comics uh, because they had re reacquired the rights to it. 
And so you had Conan with the Avengers uh, doing stuff. You had Conan in modern age doing stuff. And then that contract expired and Marvel chose to not renew. And so it went to somebody else who thought they could make money and Titan uh, Publishing is the one that picked it up. I think I saw something and I have to go back and look. I believe the Titan Publishing solicitations are out uh, for for the next, uh, for May. And I want to say that Titan, let's see, uh, that's review PDF. I'm going to have to look and see if I, I can access that. I could have swore that I saw something that said that Titan Comics was going to reprint the classic Savage Sword of Conan collections uh, anew as part of this deal. So um, people may be able to get their hands on that. So four and a half slices of, uh, of, uh, of dinosaur for the Savage Sword of Conan number one. Dug it a lot. I cannot wait to read issue number two. This is a supersized uh, story. So it's like 66 mm-hmm. plus pages of content. Nice. And so seven bucks, seven bucks is a steal on this, on this issue. So Conan fans go track this one down. And of course, if you're looking for more reviews, you can find them over at majorspoilers.com. We would ask you to go over there. Or if you want to purchase Savage Sword of Conan digitally, uh, we have a link in our show notes where you can buy this through the Amazon digital comiXology app. And um, we've got a link there and a little bit comes back our way. That's just one of the ways, Matthew, that Mm -hmm. people can help keep this show being independent, not having to shut down, which is probably likely. Uh, or being bought out by some evil tycoon who only wants to strip us for parts and sell off the rest. Um, we want to keep that from happening. And so going and using our Amazon affiliate link certainly does a little bit of that, but the best way that you dear listener, and again, I'm talking to you, dear listener, best way that you can ensure that our voices come to your ears each and every week is to become a patron over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Dear listener, if you are not a patron, you go over today and sign up for that $5 a month, that silver level a month membership. The next week, you will hear me shout out your name. Just like I'm saying uh, this week, thank you to Sean Edwards, who's our newest silver patron. Thank you, Sean, for stepping up and being an awesome person. Also, I want to give a big shout out to David Hirsch, who's our newest gold patron, $10 a month. I, I, I love our gold members. I love all of our patrons. But the, sure. the, the, the gold members get access to so many bonus things over at patreon.com slash major spoilers, the VIP live chat, uh, right. uh, a bunch of other things. I forget what the other, other benefits are. You can find them at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Cool theme song that I sing for the gold. Well, I mean, here's the thing. If you just sign up, if you just sign up with this small, affordable contribution of $5 each month. And again, Matthew, $5, a small, affordable contribution. Right. When was the last time you bought a coffee for less than five dollars? You can't. You you can't. It's impossible. It is impossible to buy a coffee these days for less than five dollars. And so for My less than the cost, yeah, the less lo, the for less than a cup of coffee a month at the Silver Level membership, you get access to four bonus episodes each month. The Major Spoilers podcast pre-show this week, we got a little bit into software subscriptions. And to politics and to Matthew's uh, health care. Uh, if you become a gold level member, you get up to eight bonus episodes a month. Plus, you get to be part of the VIP live chat where I tell you what it's like to run major spoilers. And uh, last month's VIP, or I should say February's VIP live chat, was uh, everybody had positive thoughts about that one. So what are you waiting for? Your small, affordable contribution. And keep the show going month after month. 
We can ensure that we don't have to say, hey, Matthew, this week you can't be here, or Rodrigo, this week you can't be here because we can't afford it. We're going to say, Matthew, you can't be here because of many other reasons. Uh, don't but do here, it. Don't I know, we, it. and we won't have to if we get people to sign up at patreon.com slash major spoilers. That's all I'm saying. Patreon.com. Don't even be cool to me anymore. Help us out. Come yeah. <laughs> yeah. The beatings will continue until we get more patrons. Matthew is rapidly running out of time. I'm being held <laughs> at the shelter, but nobody knows how to and there's just these shots of sad Matthew in the yeah. rain <laughs> eating, <laughs> for eating less, tapioca pudding for less than $5 a month you can ensure that Matthew doesn't have to eat only tapioca pudding and you get all uh, access to all the bonus content so what are you waiting for keep this show independent free of outside influence from big corporations from Mr. Moneybags twisting his mustache and laughing maniacally and saying ah, ha, 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 I now have your IPs now um, yeah, say no to big corporations, become a patron, patreon.com slash major spoilers. Uh, I think speaking of someone who said no to big corporations and then became a big corporation, uh, <laughs> Robert Kirkman, Kirk. I think he, I think Robert Kirkman is one of those people that was just like, you know, I can do my own comic books. I don't have to go and do a Superman book. I don't have to do a Batman book. I don't have to do, you know, a blade book. I can go out and create my own superhero universe. I can go out and create my own weird science universe. I can go out and create my own zombie universe and I don't have to be beholden to the man. And I can work for a company like image comics where I can do my stuff independent, where I get to be a creator owned. And then he turns that into a major empire. And now he has, you know, skybound entertainment is his, is his publishing company. And now he's got G.I. Joe and Transformers and Invincible and The Walking Dead. And he's got movies and he's got TV deals. Um, and it all started with a, a little book called Invincible. Well, I think technically it all started with a little book called Walking Dead. But for the purposes of it started with a little book called Marvel Team Up a couple of years earlier. Yeah. But yeah, sure. yeah, we're talking about being being independent. We're talking about doing I, things that you want to do. And so that brings us to Invincible. And it's been a. Um, Many a year since we've talked Invincible, and I forget. Um, uh, in fact, I can look really quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's this Jimbo Fett. Jimbo Fett said, "Hey guys, it's been probably a decade since you have talked about Invincible. How about you go back and review the next Invincible book, which just so happens to be Volume Three, <laughs> like oh. issue nine. Oh, what is it? Uh, so this would be issue fifteen of the series, up to issue fifteen uh, for a book that went two hundred and fifty issues." Right. So we're getting there. Uh, we are getting there slowly, but surely uh, for whatever reason, invincible drops off our radar. I don't know why, because I really, you and I haven't have talked invincible for years. Uh, we've reviewed the single issues on and off through the years. And we always enjoy the adventures of what's going on with Mark Grayson. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know why it's not been a regular discussion point on the major spoilers podcast. Well, I think it may be a timing thing, for one, because Invincible started in, what, 2001? Something like that. So when we were starting the podcast, Invincible was just like, you know, a a little book that Image was putting out. They were in the 20s. And then it got really crazy and really good. But I think at the point when we would have been really, really crazy into it, we were also just like overwhelmed. There was like a, a virtual plethora of, of things yeah. that we were looking 
yeah. you know, in those, in those 2000, the, the salad days, we yeah. call them. Yeah. Invincible started in, old and tired. Invincible started in 2003. That was the first issue. 2003. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you do get to a point and I think that the end of Invincible now is a good, what, five years, six years behind us. Yeah. It ended in 20, 2018. The last 10 or 12 issues. Yeah. yeah. February 14th, 2018 was the final issue. Issue 144. Yep. Yeah. So I think it just kind of fell off our radar as we got up into the, you know, like the 80s and 90s of the book. And there were a whole bunch of flashy, big number ones coming around. And this was a book that was coming out regularly, Mm -hmm. being solid, being good, being, you know, every month good. And then every fourth month, holy (laughs) good. Yeah. And it was just one of those things where it'd slide off your radar in between. Yeah, I mean, and there were certain things that were going on. I mean, certainly we are seeing the growth of Mark Grayson over the 144 issues uh, that we have of this and him dealing with uh, some bigger world issues like in the later issues where he's trying to decide, well, do I, you know, kill somebody if it solves this problem or, you know, what do I do? We see him dealing with family issues uh, with uh, Adam Eve. uh, And I don't know if Kirkman, because one of my problems with, the walking dead is it's just a very slow paced story, which is fine. Perfect for walking dead. But I don't think that, and it's clear in, in volume three that we're reading. And this is the previous printing of volume three. There is a new volume three. That is a, uh, that is a more issues in it. We're only reading mm-hmm. five issues here. Um, but I don't remember Kirkman slowing down the pacing of the stories, right? It seemed like there was always something going on. Um, unlike Brian Michael Bendis, who might, you know, spend a lot more time stretching out a story. I don't ever feel like Kirkman ever did that. Maybe he did, but, um, certainly here in, in this volume, there is no slowdown because I mean, we get into issue one of this and it's just like, there's like six different major things that are happening in this, in this book. And each one is like a three to four page bit. And then you get into the, to the next bit and then you keep going and going and going. And so I like that fast pace of invincible this volume is also the big reveal volume. Yes, this is this is the game changer. This is the volume that well, first of all, uh this is the volume that if you've watched the Invincible cartoon, yeah, series being, 1. The yeah. Big, yeah, the big uh bash moment at the end of what, episode 8, 7. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the first 15 issues of the book were basically compressed into season 1 and this really is the point where the book kind of hit my radar because I remember reading issue one and going, uh, and there is, a, this feels to me Bronze Age Marvel-y. This feels like, you know, Stan and uh, Steve on, well, not even Stan and Steve, probably Stan and, and Jazzy John Romita on Spider-Man where things are cooking in the background at all times. There's three or four subplots and then nothing ever slows down because here's a subplot. Oh, Adam Eve is upset. Oh, mm-hmm. she's in love with Mark, but he's in love with Amber. Oh, and here's these idiot villains who keep popping yeah. up yeah. and getting more and more dangerous and seeming like they're jokes. And of course, the the best part of the issue for me is in either issue one or issue two, a character called Biplane gets punched into the atmosphere. Oh yeah, and yeah. At and then point, at the we end of the series, we see him floating in space. Corpse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a, and so yeah, the, so you know, I, I I would say that probably this volume also is the one where a lot of people started taking notice because 
you know, the, the series starts off with here's this kid who just discovers he has powers. His dad is the most powerful man on Earth. And then you go 15 issues and you suddenly find out, oh, no, the dad is the villain because he was sent here on Earth to take over the world. And now he and his dad are going to have a massive uh, drag out uh, fight that, you know, really changes the nature of the story going forward. And so you've got that. So that's really big. But also the other thing is just poking fun at all of the other comic tropes is still very much a key part of of these first 15 issues. And specifically here, because we get um, Damien Darkblood shows back up, which is very much a Watchmen Hellboy yeah. uh, riff uh, kind of thing. Um, and so it's it's really fun and cool to see all of that stuff play out in a really tight story, because I don't think. Like I said, it's like three or four pages of this and then you're on to a next bit and then three or four pages of this and you're on to the next bit. Um, yeah, this really moves fast and I don't feel like there is any wasted space. I don't feel like there there is not a lot of fat in these issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I say that as a fat person <laughs> who is fat positive, there there isn't necessarily something that feels like it's completely wasted and everything has a reason to be here and it has a place and you get these characters who you're you're playing with years and years of comic books and mm -hmm. so Kirkman especially for 20 years ago was way ahead of the game in terms of like the meta the meta story the meta yeah. game of how do we talk about things like a secret identity in a modern story and have it mean anything mark doesn't technically not have a secret identity but he ends up telling way too many people who he is yeah, yeah. and nolan sort of has a secret identity but it turns out that he has a secret identity for horrifying and utterly you know insane and sinister reasons so you know we see love triangles played with we see the simple thing of you're you're a young superhero and you've watched your dad and now you have your powers and you've got to figure out how to do it yourself there's yeah. there's chunks of a lot of familiar things here, but it all yeah. feels fresh. Yeah, and I think that, you know, uh, certainly Robert Kirkman did not invent the my my family is evil. I think Power Pack oh, had, no. had or, or not Power Pack. Um, what's the group of of Marvel kids that find out that their parents are supervillains uh, on the West Coast? Oh, the Runaways. The Runaways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, this isn't the first time that we've seen my parents are, are evil villains and I have to decide what I want to do. But I do think that this is a really good story where Mark then has to confront this is your heritage. Do you turn away from your heritage or your legacy uh, and follow right. the the Viltrumites or do you rebel against that and say that Earth is is my home and I'm going to protect Earth? And so I think that that is fascinating to see here. I do think that it's it's fun to see. Mark still being kind of a dumb high school kid where it's clear that Adam Eve is in, in love with him yet. He's got a girlfriend and uh, you know, Adam Eve is walks in on them making out and she can't handle that and leaves. I, I think that all of that stuff is really cool. There's definitely world building going on when we learn the history of the Viltrumites. I think it's pretty much that entire issue is all Viltrumite history. And I think that that is really cool. I think, and I'm not saying I agree with, but I find Omni-Man's justification for killing the Guardians of the of the uh, globe. Globe. Yeah, not the galaxy, but the Guardians of the globe. I find his justification right. But then at the same time, it's like, 
do you really believe oh. that? Do you really believe that at this point when he is confessing to Mark and telling the story, do you believe that he is someone that has to, to use the phrase? I don't know. It's probably not appropriate or not, but to say that he's gone native, that he has, um, mm-hmm. in, in, in integrated with the society and wants to protect the society. Um, do you believe that? Or do you think that he, this is all lies that he is really just here as a, as a vile person? Right. Is, uh, is he what he seemed to be, or is he what he now claims he is? And then once that kind of comes into play, you do have Mark having to deal with, can I honor what I thought my dad was mm-hmm. while still dealing with what my dad actually is? You know, yeah. it's, it's a very real thing, you know, it's, it's daddy issues. And I feel like there's a lot of stories that would play this for, you know, melodrama, but instead it gets played very naturalistically. And you do have, you know, Mark's mother trying to come to terms with, okay, this is what my son is doing. And as the, sh- the, the book goes on, we see her having to deal with the consequences of her husband's decisions, but mm-hmm. she's also having to come to terms with herself. And yeah, it's not, none of this is simple. And that's the part that I like. You're playing yeah. with, here's this comic book trope that could be played out as, oh, X is bad and evil and we must punch and punch and punch. But the punch and punch and punch is also a massive philosophical discussion and a fight between father and son that is actually, you know, we're, we're basically looking at uh, an issue and a half of, of, Filial abuse. You're you're beating up your oh, father. Oh yeah, you're beating up your kid. Trying yeah. to kill you, and it's it's disturbing, but it's also thought provoking in a way that sometimes when you see this in a comic book or even in you know like a movie, you don't get that level of thought about it. It's just well, and what's is evil, and they were evil all along, and now we're going to fight. Yeah, and what's really good about this is on the one hand depending on how you're reading it, you may be thinking, oh, Omni-Man really has wanting to integrate with society. But then at the very next page, he's like, oh, your mother means nothing to me. She is just a pet. And you're like, oh, geez, that's this guy really is bad. And so we need to treat him for a bad guy. But then he beats the crap out of his son and has that moment where is this regret from Omni-Man? Is this, you know, is this, I've, I can't deal with this. What is going on? And he leaves the planet and he doesn't return to the planet for, like a whole arc, at least if I'm, I'm trying to go through the issues really quick to see when Omni man comes back. But I want to say it's got to be in the twenties easily uh, before he returns for quite some time. And that's, and that's cool, right? Because that really leaves the reader to try to figure out what the heck is going on. Is he going back to his home planet to bring reinforcements? Is he, you know, just messed up in the head and he needs time alone you know, what's going on with that. And of course he comes back and it's a totally different story. Hey, you got a brother. Right. Um, and it's just That's like, Oh, this is really messed up. It doesn't take you where you think it's going to take you. Yeah. 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 And that, you know, that's one of the wonderful parts about it. You get to the end of issue. So in issue 16, we see Omni-Man disappear and then he doesn't come back until the mid twenties. Yeah. I want to say so I'm, he comes I think back it's 25 in the big issue 25. Yeah. Cause it's a big double sized anniversary because Kirkman read, grew up reading nineties comics and every issue, every 25 multiplier, he turns into a big yeah. anniversary issue. And, well, I think, you know, uh, I think 
Omni-Man only comes back in the last page of issue 25. Uh, right. And that is the shocking un- conclusion. Un- yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so I, but, I, but that's why I think that regardless of what people think uh, about Robert Kirkman, I, I think he really understands what, what comic books, I mean, he gets comic books, right? I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think he plays up good stuff. I mean, there are certainly things that I disagree with Robert Kirkman about. Uh, but I think when it right. comes to how do we tell stories that follow along what many would consider a classic storytelling uh, trope, but also putting his own unique spin on them, I think he does that very, right. very well. Yeah, and Kirkman is really good about when he creates a character. You know, you, I've, I've heard you say a million times, a character needs their own individual silhouette. They need to have yeah, their, their pose, you know, style. their thing where mm-hmm. if you see him, yeah, you see him in a cartoon, you'll know who they are without seeing it. And Kirkman is really good at giving characters not just that thumbprint, but their own voice and their own weird sort of, you know, nobility because Omni-Man is one of a million Superman type characters. But if you really break it down and you say, Oh, I like, I am super sick of evil Superman as a trope, but Omni-Man is not evil Superman as a trope. Omni-Man is actually something different, something better. Omni-Man is what if Superman was sort of evil, but also a loving dad and a husband and a man who's been lying to himself about what is and mm-hmm. isn't really going mm-hmm. on. And it becomes a lot richer and a lot more complex. And that's how I think that's how Invincible stood out for me is it felt like Bronze Age Marvel, mm-hmm. but it felt like Bronze Age Marvel. We talk about these are comics for adults. And usually that means boobies and F words. But this book has the boobies, it has the F-words, and then it has actual real adult dilemmas and adult concepts and things that you have to look at it and say, as an adult man, mm-hmm. you have to deal with your father. You have to deal with your father's failings. But you can't just say, well, my father is evil and I'm going to beat him to death because when Nolan does come back, it's much more complicated than any of these issues would let on. And I think that's the, that's the real winner about this book. Yeah. And of course this uh, book features Ryan Otley's uh, artwork, which is always crazy cuckoo over the top violent. And so, <laughs> you know, if you want to see eyeballs flying and people covered in blood and, you know, cities being destroyed by a punch, uh, this, this is Ryan Otley, you know, probably not. I mean, I think maybe Corey Walker maybe goes a little bit, uh, further than that. But to me, Ryan Otley was always like that guy who is not afraid to push boundaries when it comes to uh, violent art. And so mm-hmm. seeing that in here again is always great to see his lines and his work and, and everything that he does. And and so I, I, I would caution people who uh, don't like violence or bloody violence or grotesque violence, that this is probably not for you and maybe not for your younglings. Uh, but Oh, definitely not for your younglings. But I think, I'm trying to debate, like, is this my, is this for my middle schooler? And I think that a middle schooler, eighth, seventh, eighth grade, probably could handle this, especially in a day. And so here's the thing. You and I are putting our uh, past uh, on top of that when we have these kinds of discussions. But here's my kid watching Demon Slayer and One Punch Man and, you know, uh, Hunter x Hunter and all of this stuff. And it doesn't phase him. And so it's like. I think he could probably handle Invincible without a problem. Now, he may have some questions about some of the 
more complex themes like, uh, well, but no, I'm sure he probably still also understands that, man, my dad and I fight sometimes too. At least my dad doesn't beat me to death like uh, Omni-Man does. So my dad's actually a pretty good dad. Um, well, I mean, that's a low bar, but I'll, I'll I mean, give it to you. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it, right? At this point, I'll take it. Better dads than Omni-Man. I'm better dad than Omni-Man. That's what my last Father's Day card said. Um, yep. And, uh, and, uh, also I think the other card that I got the year before is like, uh, dad, if you had to, uh, send me uh, rocketing from our exploding planet, I'm glad you would pick me and not my brother. I think that's what the last one was. So, uh, you know, all sorts of great, great father's day gifts. You can buy the cards yourself over at our major spoiler store, uh, and, uh, and get those yourself. Uh, so yeah, the Ryan Otley art is, um, I, I think I could have my, my middle grade kid read this without a problem. I wouldn't have too many concerns because there's not out and out. I mean, the violence is the biggest thing, but there's no out and out nudity. There is implications of sex, but at this time they've all had the sex uh, talk and sex education at school. Um, but if you are somebody that doesn't agree with that kind of stuff, then probably not give it to your kid. But I still think at the end of the day, especially if you read volumes one, two, and three, and they've been repackaged in a bunch of different ways over the years so that they can <laughs> kind of that George Lucas let's, uh, sell you the same <laughs> the, a ticket to the same movie again and again and again. They've repackaged right. this a number of times, but these first 15 issues are great. And this volume three is the big fight, the big reveal, the big ending to season one of the cartoon show or the animated show. I shouldn't call it a cartoon, but uh, if that is, if that's your jam, then you need to be reading invincible. I mean, it's a, it's a finished series. So it's not like you have to go, oh man, I'm going to have to read 800 or a thousand issues to understand what's going on. No, read these first 15 issues and you'll have a really good encapsulation of what Invincible is about. And I really like volume three is the game changer. And if you were going to, if you'd already read the first two, then definitely you have to pick up three. So for me, it's a, it's a big thumbs up. I'm the same way. I feel like when it comes to Invincible, it is anybody who I feel is adult enough to come in and say, I want a comic book that has, you know, themes. When you when you say, and sometimes you say it facetiously and sometimes not, I'm tired of them cape and tights comics. This is a lot more well, than a cape and tight comics. Yeah, and, and a lot of that has to do with I'm tired of the, so here's here's the thing. When I say you're tired of tape, uh, a cape and tight uh, comics, I'm tired of superhero comics, specifically those from the big two, where they really lean into heavily the Stanley, I want the illusion of change uh, concept right. where it's like, oh, you think this big thing is going to happen and then it doesn't. And from everything that I remember about Invincible, if if Robert Kirkman wants to destroy half the planet, guess what? Half the planet's going to be destroyed and there ain't no snap going to bring anybody back kind of thing. <laughs> uh, if there are If there are heroes that die, there are heroes that die. Uh, if there are friendships that fall apart, there are friendships that fall apart and stay falling apart. And so uh, that's when I say I'm tired of capes and tights. I'm tired of the same story with no real change for a character. Oh, but Batman's getting married to Catwoman. Oh, really? Is Batman still married to Catwoman? Oh, no. When that author, when that writer left, they had to reset and put all the toys back in the they toy were, box. They were never actually married. They, uh-huh. Their wedding and, fell apart. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, give me real change or or not. And so that's why I like Invincible, because mm-hmm. it is a capes and tights story that has real stakes. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Anything else you wanted to add there, Matthew? Hey, 
Um, no, I think we're good. Okay. All right. And I think that's where we're going right. to end it this week, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully you've had a lot of fun listening to us uh, talk, and hopefully you are also thinking about Invincible Volume 3, Perfect Strangers, is the uh, title of the one that we are reading. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Again, if you want to keep us independent, if you want to get even more fun, if you want to hear us do some old people talk, uh, some politics talk, etc., and we don't get too far into, uh, no, I guess we do. Uh, but, um, you can find even more fun. I was going to say, eh, we don't get to, uh, blaming people, but no, we totally blame people in our pre-show this week. Uh, so go check out our major spoilers podcast pre-show. You get that four exclusive episodes each month. When you sign up at patreon.com slash major spoiler spoilers at the silver level, patreon.com slash major spoilers. Next week on the show, we've got E-Man. I have no idea what an E-Man is. I think that's the new electric, the new electric man uh, now from Tesla Uh, because Smikey, because Smikey demanded it. That's next week on the Major Spoilers podcast. Why? Because we know that you love comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. The X-ray vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm Stark Raven rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline Would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Being in the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler, what a major spoiler, yeah, 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 what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 whoa. what a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2024 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.